Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Living in community becomes increasingly difficult as we find more ways to draw lines and build walls between people and even struggle to find peace within our own lives. God has called us to be unified in Christ and to exist peacefully with those around us. Let's listen to God's voice and learn what it takes to be peacemakers. Well, good morning again, church. You out there? Let me hear you. Come on. Uh, there's nothing I love doing more than preaching. Uh, but last week, we kicked off a series called Peacemakers. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm in a season in my own life right now where I need to hear these messages more than you need me to preach them. Um, so I'm going to step off the platform today. Uh, and you're about to be really, really blessed because you're about to hear, I've already heard it once and I cried through most of it. So get your tissues ready. If you don't cry, you're not human. Um, because Jasmine Denton, who serves as our adult ministries pastor, is coming right now and she is about to really bring a powerful word. So you show her some love as she makes her way um, to the platform. Good morning. How are you? Good. Me too. I am relieved to be preaching this message today. And not because I've been dreading it, but because the weeks leading up to a time that you're going to be preaching on peace is pretty much guaranteed to not be full of peace. Um, that compounded with the fact that my husband Lyle is going to be preaching about peace next week. We kind of had a double whammy. I don't know that we'll say yes to this again. <laughs> Not back to back. Let's just let's take it easy. But I am um, I'm relieved, like I said, to be able to bring this message to you today. Um, because these past few weeks have, um, have not been the most peaceful. And it's not been in the most, like, outright audacious. There's been no fighting, no yelling, no punching. Well, my boys, but that's a different story. Um, it's not been that kind of mm, chaos. It's been that undercurrent of tension, that, that subversive, subtle thing when you, you feel this tightness in your chest. You know what I'm talking about? Where it feels like something's sitting on you and you can't take a deep breath. Where you feel like there's like a vice grip that's just got you all the time and all you want is to open up your chest and you think, maybe I just need to stretch a little bit. Maybe that's the problem. But there's just this tension in you, this chaos that is not peaceful. And that's what I've been experiencing over the past few weeks. And so the Lord has dealt heavily with me in this topic of being a peacemaker. Jesus begins his first sermon, the first major sermon, standing on a mountain, Got a lot of people around him, and the first thing that he does is makes a list. Now, I love anybody who can make a good list. But he starts to make a list of the characteristics, the character traits, of the kind of people that he call blessed. So he says, blessed are those who, and if I was going to fill in those blanks, if I'm thinking, okay, who are people who are blessed? Like, blessed are those who have really good looks. Blessed are those who are intelligent. Blessed are those who have plenty of money, because obviously they're blessed. 
But instead, he lists some things that we would not consider blessings. And in fact, we might consider a weakness or even a curse. He says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are merciful. And those aren't qualities that we always consider to be a blessing in our lives. But he calls these people blessed. And then in verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. Jesus tells us that people who are peacemakers are blessed. Sometimes that's actually translated as happy. Happy are people who are peacemakers. And he says that people who are peacemakers are happy because they have peace within and they have, they're helping to create peace in the world around them. So being a peacemaker in itself is a blessing. He says, but because you are a peacemaker, you will be called a child of God. This means that God names you and claims you as his own. When you are acting as a peacemaker, when you are being a peacemaker, he says, hey, you see that man? You see that woman? She's mine. He belongs to me. And not only does God claim you as his own, but people around peacemakers start to recognize that you're a little different. Something about you doesn't look like the same as you because children look like and act like their parents. So if, if we know that peacemakers are blessed, and this is a blessing that we want to have in our lives, why do we spend so much time in the two categories that Matt talked about last week, being pot stirrers and peacekeepers? Pot stirrers being, you know, those people who like to stir the pot. They like to kick up some dust. Peacekeepers being those people who, who close doors, who don't want to address things, who walk around on eggshells so they don't upset anybody. Or maybe they keep their mouth shut because if it opens, what's going to come out is not going to be good. Why do we stay pot stirrers and peacekeepers if we know that being a peacemaker is what's going to bring the blessing? Well, I think that we stay in this pot stirrer, peacekeeper mode to deflect attention away from the fact that we don't have peace in our own life. We stir up dust so that people can't see what's going on inside. We shut doors so that people can't know what's going on in our own life. People who are posturers and peacekeepers, they experience chaos in their own life. And when we recognize that we're in one of these two categories, it reveals that we're fearful, we're anxious, we're insecure, that we've been hurt, or that we're ashamed, and we really don't know how to get out of this, this feeling of chaos in our life. We know that we lack peace within ourselves, so we try to manufacture peace within our own power. A couple weeks ago, I had a meeting here at the church on Saturday. It was from 11 to 1. Lyle kept the kids at home. We have three of them. He kept the kids at home, and I said, I'll be back in a little bit. You know, thank you. Uh, always, always say thank you. Um, 
I got to the meeting, and the meeting went a little long, and then I talked for a little while, and then I was here, so, you know, I found some things that I, that I needed to do, and I was a little late. So I called Lyle on my way home, and I said, hey, uh, I just want you to know I'm on my way home. How's everything there? And he said, awful. <laughs> exactly what I wanted to hear. I was like, oh, really? What's going on? And he was like, they're crazy. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to shove snacks down their throat as fast as I can. I said, why? He said, I'm just trying to keep the peace. I said, oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm on my way. I'll be in like 15 minutes. You can take a break. It'll all be fine. So I go in the house, and there is evidence of a lot of peacekeeping. There are gummy snack bags and half-eaten oatmeal cream pies, and Ezra's got nutty buddy bar all over his face. Like, he looks super happy. And I, I start looking around, and I'm like, um, what'd you guys have for lunch? And Lyle said, we didn't have lunch. I said, why not? He said, because we were waiting on you. We thought you'd be home, and we'd have, we were going to wait on you for lunch. I was like, oh, well, that's the problem. Our kids are hungry, and they need something that is substantial and sustaining, and we're feeding them sugar and sugar, <laughs> and it makes them happy for a minute, but then they just get, mm, again, because they don't have something that is filling their bellies, and they don't always know to ask, you know, hey, Daddy, please make me lunch. They just start to get irritable and upset. And we do the same thing. We, we experience this chaos in our own life, and so we try all the things to bring peace. And you know what those things are, right? You know what we call it? Self-care. Right? We go get a manicure. We buy nice sheets. We do yoga. We practice positive self-talk. We buy nice sheets, and we buy all the essential oil blends. You know it. We don't feel safe. We feel insecure. So we buy guns. We buy security systems for our homes, all to bring us just a little bit of peace. We walk in the door one day and like there's toys everywhere and you're like, it's going out. Give me a box. And you start putting stuff in. You take it to Goodwill and you're like, finally, I'm going to have some peace. Or maybe you do the extreme thing and you sell your house in the city and you buy a tiny home and you hole up in the woods because all you want is to just find some peace. And the thing is, like these things work for a minute until trouble comes again, and it starts to stir up these, those same feelings of anxiety and anger and disappointment and distress. And we start relying on ourselves again. We start being self-righteous because we're trying to deflect the fact that something's not right. And we go about this process over and over again, and we're just t chasing our own tails looking for peace. We stay in these two categories of pot stirrer and peacekeeper because we lack peace within. And it seems to me that before we can be peacemakers in the world around us, we have to have peace within us. 
And so at some point we realized we need to look at Jesus because he was the example of being a peacemaker. Matt talked last week about that Jesus wants us to have peace and he wants us to practice peace. He says things like, if somebody smacks you on this cheek, don't hit him back. Let him smack the other one. He says things like um, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. In John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Even Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesied that Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. So why then does Jesus also say this? Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, that feels a little off-brand. There was another time that Jesus did something that was a little off-brand. It was a few days before his crucifixion, and he went into the temple, and he saw all these people who had tables set up. And they were selling animals so people could come. They would buy an animal to go in to sacrifice to atone for their sins. Well, these people selling the sacrifices were making a lot of money. And it made Jesus really mad that this was going on in the temple. And so he drives them out. He's like, get out. This is a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a shopping mall. Get out out and he turns over the tables and he kicks over the chairs and it's not exactly the scene that we would expect for someone who is supposedly a peacemaker he turned the tables over and drove people out because there is something that was in there that needed to go and the going does not feel like peace he continues In verse 35, for I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Yeah, peace looks like compassion and love and truth and justice and forgiveness. But first, peace is going to feel like losing control. It's going to feel like letting go. Because before there can be peace, there must be a purge. Before he can bring peace, he's got to clear out the junk, y'all. And before he can clear out the junk, he's got to give you some idea of what junk there is. And there is nothing that makes us feel more uncomfortable and more exposed than someone else seeing our mess. It's the reason we don't invite people into our homes, right? It's the reason we say things like, um, use that bathroom, not that one. Please don't open that hall closet. Put your coat on the bed. 
It's because we're hiding our mess and it makes us feel really uncomfortable for somebody to look at it. It's like when you clean out a closet. I mean, well, what's even the point of cleaning out a closet? I mean, if the door shuts, it's fine, right? But you cannot take advantage or utilize anything of use in that closet if you can't get to it, if it's covered up by all of the junk. So Jesus is like, we got to lay it out, guys. We got to put it all out. You got to touch and hold all the things, and we get to decide what stays and what goes because there can be no room for me if you're still holding on to all of that. I like that he uses the word sword because a sword is a very sharp object, obviously, but it's necessary for cutting away. It's necessary for even putting to death the things that are keeping us from having peace. It's for cutting away things like grudges and envy. It severs ties with unhealthy relationships and unhealthy habits. It can even cut open an old infected wound so that the infection can come out and finally it can heal properly. It's going to feel like punishment. It's going to feel not peaceful. It's going to be uncomfortable and painful, but the product of the purge will be peace. And you get to decide the measure of peace in your life. Because the measure of peace in your life is determined by what you allow your heart to hold and where you allow your mind to dwell. So let's talk about what your heart holds. See, your heart desperately needs Jesus, but it does not want Jesus. Because having Jesus in in your life will feel unnatural. It will feel wrong, and your heart will actively fight against his presence within your body. Matthew chapter 10, continuing in verse 35, he says, I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross, that means die, literally, and follow me is not worthy of me. That doesn't feel natural, y'all. It doesn't feel natural to say, I love my child less than I love God. That is not a common sense approach. But you see, the things that sometimes have to go are those things that we love the best. It's the things that make us feel the most loved, the most comfortable, the things that are the most familiar in our lives. Because the biggest threat to what's number one is the thing that's in second place. And Jesus says, I don't want to be in the top spot. It's not joy, you know, Jesus, others, you. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. He has to be in all of the slots. So how do we know? How do we know if we love something more than than we love Jesus? We might want to think like, okay, well, if I had to choose, 
if I had to choose, do I love Jesus or do I love my kids? If one had to go, which one am I going to hold on to? Or if it's like those gun to your head kinds of moments, like you have to choose right now. Who do you love the most? Jesus or your kids? Jesus or your mom? Well, since you've got a gun to your head, you're going to be meeting him very soon. So we're probably going to say Jesus. (laughs) But you see, we don't reveal who we love in moments like this. We demonstrate every single day what is important to us. For example, we might say, I love my kids so much. I would die for them. But I won't put down Instagram stories long enough to go read them a story. You might say, I love my wife so much. I would die for her. But I won't get up early enough in the morning to make coffee before so it's ready when she wakes up. We might say, I love my husband so much, I would die for him. But we won't give him the physical intimacy that he needs to know that he is loved. We might say, I love my parents so much, I would die for my parents. But we don't want to tell him what we were doing on Friday night. I love my family so much, I would die for my family but I won't leave work on time. I won't end that meeting when I'm supposed to. I won't cut that conversation short so that I can go home and be with them. I love Jesus so much, but I don't want to serve. I love Jesus so much, I would die for him, but I will not invite my neighbor over for dinner because she's crazy. I love Jesus so much, I would die for Jesus. But I'm going to be rude to that lady at McDonald's who got my order wrong this morning. We demonstrate every single day what we love by every single choice that we make. And we think that choosing Jesus over somebody means that we don't that we don't love them. But it doesn't mean that we love people less. It actually just means we love them rightly. And if we choose to love Jesus more, it actually makes us better, not worse, at loving people. And it's not just about what your heart holds, but also the position in which you hold these things. For example, if I love my kids more than I love and trust in Jesus then I am going to be a paranoid, anxiety-driven, exhausted person because I'm constantly worried about what they're doing. I've got to protect them. I've got to watch over them. I've got to provide for them. But when I have Jesus in his right place and I have that deep love for him, he says, Jasmine, peace. I love them too. And I love them more, and I will care for them better than you ever can. So have peace in me. We have to keep Jesus in his right place in our hearts. And it's a choice that we get to make. Colossians 3.15 says, and let, it's my favorite three-letter word, let, allow, let the peace of Christ 
to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. That word rule actually means like umpire or to sit in the seat of judgment. It's saying, let the peace of Christ be the thing that gets to decide what stays and what goes. Because if we let the peace of God decide, then that peace that we long for, it is maintained. It stays. It doesn't come and go with the tides of trouble. But often peace within is battled the most heavily in our minds. So let's talk about what we or where we allow our mind to dwell. In our minds, we scheme, we make plans, we seek control, we overanalyze, we doubt, we stew, we worry. We create these really unlikely scenarios that become more and more plausible the more that we think about them. And when we scheme, and that scheming is given control, it makes us pot stirrers. And when we overanalyze, and then that gives into fear, we become peacekeepers, and we become afraid to do anything. But if we want to be peacemakers, we must have peace in our mind. Paul has a lot to say about having peace in your mind. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? Peace, you don't even understand it's so good. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, he's going to make a list. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the peace of God will be with you. Sorry, the God of peace will be with you. He also says in Romans 8, 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Where does your mind dwell? Where, what, what direction do you allow your mind to think? Do you always kind of trust your instinct, trust your common sense, trust the natural feeling inside you, or do you, do you think on the spirit? Do you cling to what scripture says about what is beautiful and lovely and pure and true? We experience chaos and conflict when we keep Jesus from having his right place in our mind. I have been um, outright convicted of this it was very specific. It's two weeks ago. I was sitting like right back there. And I'd been thinking about money. My problem was money. I didn't have enough of it. I needed to figure out how I could make more, how I could save more. And then I start getting mad at all the people that I'm blaming because I don't, like they're the reason that I don't have money. And I'm starting to envy these people who I think have more money than I do. And there was just this really deep unrest in me. And all I could think was like, we don't have enough money. We've got to have more money. got to have more money. And I was sitting right back there, and it wasn't audible, but it was very clear in my spirit. I felt like God said, Jasmine, money is not your problem. No. Your problem is that you are not thinking about 
me. Your eyes are constantly on your problem. And that is Satan's diversion tactic. He wants to do anything that he can to keep you focused on the problem. This is the problem. This is how to solve it. We even will suggest to Jesus, hey, Jesus, my, my, my problem is I don't have enough money. I need, I need more money. So we even church it up. But really, all we're doing is thinking about our problems, thinking about the problem, thinking about it. What's the problem? What's the problem? And Jesus is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Look up here. Hey, look at me. I've got this. I've got this. Yes, I know you think you don't have enough money, but Jasmine Denton, I will provide all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. He says, you think you're alone? You think nobody else understands what you're going through? And so you start to become bitter and cynical. You start to shut people out. But he's like, hey, hey, look at me. Look at me. You're not alone. Me? I came to earth. I became flesh. I dwelt among people. I know how mean people can be. I was crucified. Remember? I have experienced pain in my life. I understand what you are going through and you are not alone. Because the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So if you find yourself having that battle in your mind, here's the prayer that I prayed. It's a very honest prayer. Super fancy. Jesus, I can't stop thinking about this problem. I can't get it out of my mind. But I want to set my mind on you because you will bring life and peace. So help me today to stop thinking about this so that I can see you. But it's not just about what the heart holds and where the mind dwells. Because I think that we can. I think humans are pretty strong, pretty smart. I think that we can with enough, like, positive self-talk and affirming affirmations that we can kind of keep our minds and our hearts in check enough to just, you know, kind of like maintain like a low level piece, like, yeah, we're okay. But the one thing we absolutely cannot manufacture that is necessary in having true peace, we cannot manufacture who the soul needs. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. He says, you want to live a life of peace? Find me. You want to live the fullest, best life? Lose your own. And live a life all out for me. Why then does Jesus, sometimes having Jesus in our life make things worse, right? Why is it that, that becoming a Christian actually made things harder, not better? Before Jesus was on my radar, I was fine. And look at all these people. They're not Christians. They don't know Jesus. They outright deny his existence, and they're fine. They go party on the weekends. They've got enough money. They don't have to wake up early on Sunday morning. They're not worried about having peace in their life. They are fine. Well, there was this guy in the Old Testament. His name was Asaph. He was actually a worship leader around the time of King David. And he wrote a psalm that expressed these same feelings. And it's recorded in the book of Psalms, um, 73 actually. He says this, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. That's like us saying, God is so good. But as for me, 
My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Have you ever felt that way? Then he says, jump to verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. He's like, did I, why did I do this? Why, why did I even bother? If it's not going to bring the peace that I think it's going to. You want to know why? You want to know why having Jesus in your life isn't bringing you the peace that you thought it would? Because Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. He wants you to understand that he is your life. And when we understand this, we'll have peace. It's like, it's like giving up. It's like a surrender. It's letting go. But then it's having our hands open in surrender only to receive the best, most beautiful, most purposeful, most peaceful, that constant peace, that kind of life, better than anything we could have ever asked for or imagined. Asaph continues in verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand all this, why all them are fine and I'm not, It seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Verse 25, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me... God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so that I can tell about all you do. He went into the sanctuary. He went into the presence of the Lord. I told you about that clenching feeling that I had for so long. Two weeks ago, I was in the bathroom at night, just you know, getting ready for bed. I was listening to some music. There were no words, but the the line of the song that was playing was saying, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And in the bathroom that night, I just raised my hands. And I was like, God, you have set me free, but I feel so chained. And he was like, you're not. I freed you. You are free indeed. And stepping into the presence of the Lord, even in my bathroom, Y'all, that feeling that I had in my chest released. And I have not felt it one moment since that night. Being in the presence of the Lord makes all the difference in the world. It makes every bit of difference to the amount of peace that you have in your life. Because when you're in the presence of the Lord, everything is put in its right place place. Everything is put in the right perspective. And Jesus knows this is a big ask, you guys. He knows. He knows that saying, hey, choose me. Follow me. Lose your life. Love me more than your kids. Love me more than your wife. Love me more than your mom. Lay those grudges down. Lay those hardships down. Lay those disappointments down. He knows it's a big ask. 
But he is standing here like this, like a father waiting for his kids who's carrying some ridiculous toy and crying, saying, just put it down. Just come to me. And all we have to do is just put down those things that are keeping us from having peace and open our arms to him. A lot of times in worship, we raise our hands, you know, like in praise, like you would do at a football game, like, woo! But in, sometimes in worship, we raise our hands like this, not to bring praise, but to ask God to pick us up. It's an act of saying, I can't, I can't hold this anymore. And he's looking at you, he's like, yeah, I know. You weren't made to carry this. And sometimes, like, where we're too weak and heavy and burdened to even reach up and stand up, he just, like you would do with a kid, and you just, he just puts his arms around us. He's like, I'm, just, come, just come here. I will hold you. I will give you rest. He says in Matthew 11, 28, this is right after, guys, right after he had said that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword, he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today, the question that I have for you is what are the things that you need to lay down? What is it that you love too much or think about too often that it distracts you from allowing Jesus to be in his right place in your life. It's that thing you can't let go of, or maybe you've tried and you just keep picking it back up over and over and over. So what I would like to do for you today is give you a gift of time. You're here. You've already carved out this time to be here. Something that we often don't schedule in our life is time for quiet. We're going to give it to you today, and this is time that you don't get up and go to your position. Nobody needs you to hold a door right now. This is the time you don't get up and go get your kids yet because there will be time for that. We're going to be quiet for just a minute. And this is a time that you can come before the Lord and say, God, I have these things that I've been holding. Some of these things for years, they're not in the right place. And some of them I don't need to keep at all. And it's a time for you to ask him, God, show me those things. Search me. Know my heart. Know my mind. So as the band plays softly, we're just going to have a minute of quiet. And it might be the only quiet minute that you get this week. So take advantage of this time. Don't miss this opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord. Let's bow our heads.
Lord, here in your presence, as you bring to mind all of these things that we don't hold in the right place, that we need to let go of completely, God, we do it in the presence of the Lord, knowing that being in your presence is our good, that you are our refuge, that you are our peace. So this morning as we lay these things down, God, we lay them down in such a way that we do not want to pick them back up because we are holding something that is much more precious, much more rewarding, much more full, much easier to carry. God, and we take that step maybe for the first time in our whole life toward you with our arms open and raised up because we are coming to you. God, this time is yours. And as we commit these burdens to be gone and laid down, we also commit to remaining in your presence, to keeping our eyes and our hearts fixed on you. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.